Hello, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, a show where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. So Rena, what did you get obsessed with this week? I think like basically everyone. I have been attempting to understand this new audio app called Clubhouse. Clubhouse for me came out of absolutely nowhere. I think it January 17th, I was minding my own business at home at my parents' house, and I kept seeing all of these memes on Instagram about Clubhouse. And I texted a friend saying, what is this Clubhouse thing? And three hours later, she sent me an invite. So Clubhouse is an audio invite-only, iPhone-only app that's currently in its beta phase, I believe. It's existed for three-fourths of a year now, I think, in the USA, but it only really took off in Germany within the last two weeks. And it's just been absolutely everywhere. And like most new things, it's caused a lot of discussion. There's, you know, a sense of elitism to it. It's just been occupying my mind and my time for the last week. Mine too. So I like to imagine clubhouses as kind of like a corridor and you're just walking down this corridor and you can step into a room and people are chatting in that room and say those rooms, they have different subject matters on them, like science, relationships, how to be a successful entrepreneur, things like that. A lot of those rooms are dedicated to marketing, making money, branding yourself, all of that kind of territory, which is kind of true in life in general or the internet in general. It's all about monetizing stuff and broadcasting your own business. But there are some very interesting discussions happening there. In the last week, I have found myself in rooms with German journalists and politicians like Elena Fares, SPD. A lot of the SPD politicians are on there. And it's interesting, actually, because the SPD is the workers' party, supposed to be, but only people who have iPhones are allowed on Clubhouse, so workers with iPhones, apparently. I've been in a room called Extrem Dumme Frage an Helge Achenbach, who is a prominent art advisor. And that was really cool, because it was kind of normal people sort of asking him questions about art, how to buy, what to buy, which is quite, art is quite elitist, that world. I've been into Pitch Dine Date, where people would just say like what their ideal date was. South Asian creatives. A group called Why Don't Bay Area Women Enjoy Bay Area Music? I have no idea what Bay Area music is, but the answer to that question has got something to do with sexism. I've been into Turn On Your Erotic Feminine Power for Purpose, which sounds like a really bullshitty name, but the conversation in there was so beautiful and supportive. It was just women being kind and lovely to each other and helping them find their confidence and their power. It was actually really nice. I was surprised by that one. I've also been into Ask a Rocket Scientist Anything. Did Robin Hood Just Rob the Poor? Stocks Crypto Reddit? Politics and Pushbacks? Was Männer uben Frauen wissen sollten? And the whole title of that room was written in caps with exclamation marks and emojis. I found them all of them fascinating in a kind of voyeuristic way because it was facilitating discussions between different groups of people which I guess normally don't talk. Like maybe men and women don't have that space to talk about. This is my idea of peace and happiness. What is your idea of peace and happiness? You know, I was in this chat room which I totally did not belong in. Why black men don't respect marriage? And there was a beautiful conversation between black men and black women happening in there. So it's been fun. 
I mean, totally distracting. But it's been nice to see people just having discussions and people coming together. And I think that's also how society works. We're getting into more and more of a polarized society. So maybe this is the app that actually brings people together. Because when somebody, the other day when I was listening to the rocket scientist, a woman came on and she was talking about the power of meditation. And can the power of meditation, was her question, can it beat the radiation and, you know, all the cancer that you might get in space from long travels in space? And I was like, oh my god, these are two totally different worlds coming together and it's not going to end well. But the question was dealt with with such respect and the scientist was like, yeah, you know, I meditate too. There are a lot of benefits to it in terms of radiation. He just really explained why maybe meditation was not the answer to very, 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 very high levels of radiation in space, but it was so enlightening. So I'm actually really enjoying it. Yeah, I think that one of the selling points of it at first was you can find yourself in a conversation with people that you don't normally have access to, this democratization of conversation, but then also keeping in mind that at the beginning, I believe that everyone only got one invite and you had to be an iPhone user. But at the same time, a lot of people, I mean, I guess probably it's the world that we move in where, you know, this like marketing, artsy, creative agency kind of world that we move in where everyone is really on these things. So it spread really quickly and everyone seemed to know someone because it felt like suddenly everyone I know in Berlin is on this app. There was a kind of moment where I was like, is this whole idea of elitism and invite only, is this a marketing trick? Are they doing this to fool the public into thinking this is this big exclusive thing? Basically, do they want people to have FOMO about being on their app? I think yes. It was really smartly marketed with this exclusivity thing because it's not exclusive. If anyone wants to join, Rian and I have a bunch of invitations between us because the invitations keep on going, so it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, FOMO. FOMO. After a week, I got three more invites. You just keep acquiring them the more active you are on the platform. So since the app has been around since mid-last year in the US, it kind of took off in Germany within, you know, in January. And what happened was these two men called Philipp Glöckler und Philipp Klöckner, same name, but once with a G and once with a K, who have a podcast called Doppelgänger, which, given their name, is very fitting. They came up with this scheme where they started a telegram group with over 100 people in it, people who work in the PR and advertising agency, and they basically started a chain reaction where they invited people in the group who then invited more people who invited more people to sort of build a community. And their idea behind it was, oh, we will become the most followed people on this app by starting this chain reaction of people following it. I mean, they did it really well, right? What happened then was just a bunch of marketing and PR and advertising people were on this app, people whose job it is to make you want to be on something. And so they, you know, set that on fire. And here we are talking about it. So job well done. Yeah, and we're at the point now, like I said, that politicians are on it. And it's really interesting when you step into a room and you've got direct, you're in, it feels like you're in the same room as a politician. And I wonder what that, if the app continues to take off like it has been, what that's going to do for democracy. Like it's more of a direct democracy where you get more discussions in society. It's like the Swiss Mm. version of democracy where everyone's a bit more politically engaged and aware and feels invested in all of the different things happening in our society. Mm. So I think it could be good. 
On the other hand, there has been massive talk and loads of fear and loads of criticism about the fact that this is an unmoderated platform. So anyone can start a room about anything. So, you know, you could start a room about, I hate all women and I think they should die. Whereas you can't do that really on Facebook or Instagram. I would say that society just implicitly has those messages. Whereas on Clubhouse, there is no moderation for these kind of things. So people have been saying, well, a lot of really extreme groups, violent groups, people who don't want to have any platform are now using this platform, which is an interesting argument. Mm-hmm. Those platforms that have no moderation, they exist anyway. So if you can't be misogynistic on a mainstream platform, there are other platforms for you specifically to do that. I wonder if it's a good thing that they are on an open platform along with everyone else because they're not isolated on their own platform in a way. You mean as in they can have an open discussion and potentially be swayed in different directions? I'm just thinking they're in a space, right? So if you're in a space all by yourself in a little cave somewhere discussing with a bunch of people... Of the same opinion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You just bolster each other up and you don't even look outside the cave. Whereas... If you're in a space which is more like an open plan office Mm -hmm. and you're by the water cooler having that discussion, you see that other people are around you and other discussions are going on that are not necessarily in agreement with yours. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's just better. Yeah. It's interesting, in a Vanity Fair article, Tracy Chu, who is the CEO of something called Block Party, which is an app that blocks online harassment, she actually says that she was contacted by the two co-founders of Clubhouse back in the day, and she spoke to the one co-founder, Seth, on the phone. And she says, and I'll quote from the Vanity Fair article, Seth contacted her earlier this year to discuss anti-harassment and moderation best practices for Clubhouse. Chu said she and Seth, both Stanford alumni, spent lengthy phone conversations talking about the complexity of moderation. She said she explained that moderation goes beyond adding, locking, and other technical features. It also requires setting community norms and thinking through the platform's policies. Though Seth seemed enthusiastic about users taking on moderation roles on their own, Chu said she stressed the need for paid moderators who know what they're doing. Chu said she came away from the conversation feeling that Seth had been really listening. Seth asked Chu to recommend additional people he could speak to, which she says she did. She also nudged him to pay others for their insights given Clubhouse's fundraising success. Chu said she wanted a formal agreement in place to bring her on as an advisor to the platform. Initially, Seth said he would send over the agreement, but the paperwork never came. I gave him my time because I was really hoping that they won't screw it up, Chu said. Through a spokesperson, Clubhouse did not directly comment on Chu's conversation with Seth. The spokesperson said the company values the perspective of experts, operators, and academics in the fields of trust, safety, and moderation, and has brought on such experts as formal advisors, consultants, and investors. So the former CEO of Reddit has also said that platforms should provide moderation training for users and implement cultural norms that allow people to have fruitful conversations. You've got to set up guardrails. If you're expecting unpaid users to moderate, you have to give them some tools. You need to make it easy for them. You need to let them be successful. So it's kind of interesting in the sense of like, yeah, it was on their mind. At one point in time, they sort of broached this question. Now, whether the issue here is that they hired some other experts and didn't go with Chu, 
or if they just never followed up. I guess she said that they essentially ghosted her. Given the sort of critique and sort of the environment that Clubhouse has started fostering, it doesn't seem like they've actually put any sort of tools into place. And if you look at what Ellen Powell, the former CEO of Reddit, was saying, yeah, as users of Clubhouse, we've not been provided with any sort of moderation tools or been shown how to do things. They expect their users to moderate conversations themselves. One of the things that you agree to when you sign up to Clubhouse is that you won't record conversations. So things are just said. And I guess in this sense, it's a little bit different than other social media platforms. So if you're spreading disinformation or misinformation on Facebook or on Instagram, you post a picture or you write something and that's tangible and that stays there. Whereas in Clubhouse, you say something, and then it can't be recorded. You know, you say it, it's gone. We all know how talking works. If it's said and then it's gone, how do you hold people accountable if they can just say things and you have no proof of what they said? There's no way for the people in charge of the app, retrospectively, to ban people because it becomes a situation of they said, they said. So how do we enforce these things? And also, like, as a user, is it my job to moderate others? But then who who has that power? Who gets to decide what's okay to say and what's not? An open platform where anyone can say anything sounds like a good idea. Because like we were talking about in our episode on Twitter, who is Twitter to decide who gets to be heard, whose thoughts get to be shared. And now we have a platform where there is no moderation. Everyone can share their thoughts and everyone can share their opinions. But how do we deal with that? Yeah, they seem to have considered it and then dropped it altogether as too much of a, <laughs> a hassle. It's interesting. So you can start a room, and if you start a room, you are the moderator of that room, and you make those decisions. In September, Clubhouse came under fire because there was a conversation that employed a lot of anti-Semitic stereotypes, and one user recalled an incident in which a Clubhouse member entered a room and yelled, fuck Jews, and left. Yeah, you can moderate a room, but how do you control that? There's so many unanswered loose threads around people coming and going and talking and also, if as a moderator, is the person who's in charge, you decide who gets to speak. But what if like you're saying like, oh, great, this is a place that can foster open conversation. But what if what if you're in a far right group and someone is saying something progressive and they just won't be allowed to talk? There's still only one person deciding what other people get to say or do in a group. What if they don't have the skills to moderate? I don't know. There's just so many murky questions about this. Yeah, the groups that work the best in the German world are those ones with the politicians and the journalists because journalists know how to moderate a discussion. They do it as a job. Yeah. They can propose a topic or a question. They can give everyone equal amounts of time. They can curate a panel. They can hold people accountable so that they actually bring them back to the topic at hand. And you can tell what is a good room and what is not. And if it's not a good room, you just, you're like, okay, I'm out of here. This is annoying. I think definitely training in society in general, that's good training to have how to listen, how to answer a question properly. And the rooms I've been in have been moderated well, and then therefore the conversations are good. But yes, there are bigger problems to it, like somebody coming in and just shouting racist things is unacceptable. Yeah, I mean, no social media platform is ever going to be perfect. Nothing in life is ever going to be perfect. There's going to be issues with something. Also, the Verbraucherzentrale here in Germany has a lot of problems with the apps surrounding data protection. And actually, the digital minister in Germany, in a, in a conversation with the Handelsblatt, she said, of course, Clubhouse needs to stick to the rules, the laws, and data protection rules. And we have rules against hate and hate speech in the internet. But I think it's wrong if every sort of form of digital innovation is 
automatically slapped with a whole bunch of restrictions before we can even figure out what it is. And she's saying that not even the lawyers in Germany have yet come to an agreement about how to deal with this app in terms of the law and in terms of data protection. So before even the experts have come to a decision and come to an agreement, we need to stop criticizing. Yeah, I mean, there seems to be so much fear over this technology from everyone. Not everyone, but a lot of people are like, oh, but you know, it's not moderated. It's going to be a hotbed of just crap because we've seen how Facebook and Instagram have basically destroyed our concentration, our societies, our self-worth. I mean, on that note, Pamela Anson just recently posted her last ever post on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And she wrote... I have never been interested in social media, and now that I'm settled into the life that I am genuinely inspired by, reading and being in nature, I am free. Let's hope you find the strength and inspiration to follow your purpose and try not to be seduced by wasted time. That's what they want and can use to make money control over your brain. I never thought I would quote Pamela Anderson, but... Here we are. I think there is a lot of fear because of what has come before. And obviously every technology, every app. Now when an app comes, we're like, oh, how's this going to change everything? How is it going to disrupt our society again? But for me, voice is a much more positive thing than the image or even text. There's the 73855 rule. And it's a concept concerning communication. It states that 7% of meaning is communicated through the spoken word. 38% through tone of voice and 55% through body language. This was developed by a psychology professor called Albert Merabian at the University of California, and he wrote a book about it in 1971 called Silent Messages. So I think it, it is a platform that can be used for better communication, because text, sometimes you can't read what the tone behind it is. Image is just so shallow. It's got all of us feeling anxious. And we do need to come together in dialogue and communicate more. This could be a good tool. Given the state of the world we're in right now with corona, I think that that helped the platform a lot. I wonder if it would have taken off in the same way it does now. I also, as critical as I am of things or have a lot of questions about it, technology is not going to go away. It is our future. So there's, we can't outrun technology in that sense. Not saying we need to embrace every new platform that comes along and every app that comes along. But it's inevitable that they're going to become more frequent and more important in our daily lives. And I have also listened to a couple of talks on Clubhouse. Last Saturday, I listened to a really lovely one by female founders sharing their wisdom. And it was kind of like listening to a live podcast in a way. I put it on my phone and went about my business in the room. It was very lovely to hear people talking. So I'd see such good in this. Yeah, I think Corona times is the best time to launch this app because... We're all lacking being in those crowded rooms, and this gives you that feel. Whether it will survive after corona, when we all get back to our lives, I don't know. It reminds me very, very much of the chat rooms, the AOL chat rooms and stuff in the beginning of the internet somewhere way back then. And those died out. Funny enough, even Bill Clinton, the president, was had a username. It was Clinton PZ. And in 1986, Vic Sussman a journalist in the Washington Post reported on chat rooms and was trying to like grasp this phenomenon. And it sounds weirdly like what we would could apply to Clubhouse today. He said, 
It's certainly the illusion of intimacy, the instant gratification of human contact without responsibility or consequences or actual involvement. But the danger is that going online instead of going into the real world ultimately turns conversation into a spectator sport. I was interested in why chat rooms died out and what happens is a bunch of other things came up, Facebook and WhatsApp, like so many things came up that just killed them off in the end. Things changed, basically. There's a really funny thread on Reddit about this, on why did chat rooms die out. The first answer is bots, paedophiles and pervs. The second one is big advancements in sarcasm in the late 1990s and early 2000s made chat rooms unbearable. Another answer is because nothing lives forever. Also, what happened with the chat rooms, which is quite interesting, is when Facebook came, our online selves that we could experiment with or pretend being got tethered to our actual real personalities. We had to be more authentic and transparent and stuff. And I feel like we also have to still be ourselves on this app. It's a reiteration of the chat room, but we can't be completely anonymous on it either because we have to be nominated by someone. It has to be tied to a phone number. So it is tied more to the real world. Before, you could just jump into a chat room, say your name was Blue Yeti and that you lived in Alaska. You were currently cooking fish pie for your wife and three kids. And that was you. And this is a kind of chat room, but also it still retains that you're tethered to your real sort of identity a bit more. In her book, Going Dark, Julia Ebner talks about how there's this misconception that any form of extremism takes place on these social media sites that we as the general public all frequent. It's not to say they don't, they definitely do. But she was talking about how their goal is always to catch you and move you to a second location. So all of these groups, let's just an example use right-wing extremist groups, have their own version of all these social media platforms because they are constantly getting banned off of, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or whatnot. And I remember thinking, just digesting this information and being like, okay, well then what's, not like what's the risk? I mean, I guess the risk is that you'll fall into the trap and you'll be lured into clicking on a link and going to a second location. And then I kept thinking, yeah, so the fear isn't it, isn't that your mom or your aunt, someone who's kind of susceptible to these things, will click on it without realizing where they're going. Because Clubhouse isn't moderated, they don't have to move you to a second location. Like, they can just exist on that platform. So, I don't know, like, does that make people less or more susceptible to being dragged down a far right or any sort of extremist channel? My favorite room on Clubhouse so far has been the silent meditation room. <laughs> you know, it's like John Cage's, what is it, three minute and 15 seconds? Silence has to be created. Exactly. And I think also, sometimes in Clubhouse, you'll need that. You could just get off Clubhouse, then you also have <laughs> silence. I'm not anti-Clubhouse. But you have purposeful silence if you stay in the silent meditation room. Back to John Cage. <laughs> exactly. Whereas if you get off, you'll just pick something else up to distract you. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's going to be super interesting to see where Clubhouse goes, how it develops. So on that note, here are our three things you can do this week to be a better person. Thing one that I learned from Clubhouse is that if somebody has a different view from you, you should give them the time to talk about it and listen and respond. And that conversation can happen in a very calm and kind way. 
thing too. If you're in a group and someone is touting hate speech or they come into the group and yell something obscene, you can report people on Clubhouse, so you should probably do that. Thing three, if you are on Clubhouse, try and step into rooms or conversations that have nothing to do with you or with people that are nothing like you because I think there is something interesting in just listening to other people's points of views, their perspectives, stepping into their lives and their concerns. It could really widen our own perspectives. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you like, you can share your internet obsession with us. Tweet us and follow us on Instagram at the underscore misinformed or email us at misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. You can also subscribe to our newsletter. Find the link via our Instagram or our show notes. We are an independent, non-profit podcast. If you would like to show us some love, you can give a one-off donation via SoundCloud or become a patron on patreon.com slash misinformed. Thanks for listening and until next week.